podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two Footed Podcast. Today is Monday, the 25th of October. We're brought to you by EPLindex.com and a presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. That's a virtual privacy network, which allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geoblocked from, while also keeping your data safe. Check out LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do remember to check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Right, folks, another crazy weekend in the Premier League. Let's start Friday night. Arsenal 3, Aston Villa 1. Aston Villa about as bad as it's possible for that collection of players to play. Uh, Thomas Partey put Arsenal 1-0 up on 23 minutes from a set piece. Ball comes in. It's not the best connection of a header I've ever seen. But in it goes and Arsenal are one up and deserving of their lead. Arsenal, to their credit, did play very well in this game. I thought they looked strong at the back. Ben White carried the ball from defence a couple of times really well. They didn't have a whole lot to do defensively, which did really help them. Uh, we saw some good kicking from Aaron Ramsdale as well, which helped because he was able to break the lines a couple of times with some good passes and get Arsenal into good positions and take Villa players out of the play. Aubameyang made it two on, on 51 minutes, but it was 45 plus six. It was still the first half. Really nice bit of play from Arsenal. They win the penalty. Aubameyang steps up. Misses the penalty. Saved by the goalkeeper. Nobody follows in. Aubameyang is there. And we have the second goal of the game. I think Emi Martinez would rightly feel furious as... His players just did not react to the missed penalty at all. If you look, if it hadn't gone to Aubameyang, the next player coming in is probably Lacazette. Really, really bad from Villa. Just asleep all game long. And that was the problem with their defence. They played the three-man defence again. Mings was terrible. Tunzebi was poor. He was hauled off. Ezri Konza did not have a good game. Cash did not have a good game. Matt Target gave away the penalty and did not have a good game. I thought Emi Buendia sleptwalked his way through the game as well in midfield. They were they were 2v3 all game long in midfield. Smith-Rowe was dropping in to make the third man in the Arsenal midfield and he had just had the run of the park. Uh, Smith-Rowe himself made it three on 56. 
simple counter-attack and Villa are all at sea. Nobody anywhere close to him. Clear run through on goal. Gets a little bit lucky as a shot takes deflection off Mings and finds its way into the bottom corner. But Arsenal, absolutely good value for the 3-0. Villa were so, so poor in this game. Jacob Ramsey on 82 with the consolation goal. Great finish. Took the ball off the toes of Leon Bailey, who'd beaten the man on the edge of the box, and just nipped it right into the top corner from the edge of the area. Really, really good goal. His first senior goal for Villa. Congrats to him, but by God, he was let down by the senior players around him. They were so poor. And when you look at Villa now, 13th in the table, lost five of their first nine, negative two differential, only 10 points taken, level on points with Watford, who we saw last week what Watford are. I really do think Dean Smith needs to start booking up his ideas and getting things moving in the right direction. Or questions are going to have to start being asked of him. His loyalty to Mings is costing him. Mings is not a Premier League defender. And a cash Konza Tunzebi target back four is more than good enough. Louise McGinn and Leon Bailey would give you a four-man midfield in whatever iteration you want, be it Buendia off the right but tucked in, Bailey wide on the left, and the other two as central midfielders. That would be better than playing what you're currently playing. And then Watkins and Ings up front, but that partnership is not working yet. I said in the summer, Ings wasn't who I'd have gone for. I'd have gone for more a Tammy Abraham type, that centralised number nine as opposed to Ings, who's very similar to Watkins with his movement and the areas he wants to play in. And there doesn't seem to be any real understanding between the two of them. And they've both been very selfish thus far. So I don't know what the dynamic is like between them. But on the pitch, it's not working. And again, Dean Smith has to figure this out. Because if he doesn't, Wes Edens will not hesitate. Dean Smith will be out of a job. And Villa will be a very attractive job to any manager because it's a huge club. They've got great history, great owners, really ambitious, plenty of money to spend, really good existing squad, established in the Premier League. That's a very attractive job with European ambitions and beyond. They're not just here to take part. Those Owners believe that they can get Villa back among the very elite in English football. They believe they can put Villa above Spurs into the big six, or it would obviously be a big seven and a big eight if you include Newcastle. But they believe that they can do that. They believe they can be Champions League contenders. There's no reason they can't. It'll take it'll take time, but. Barring a calamity, there's no reason they can't. Because while they're not mega rich like the Saudis or Abu Dhabi or whoever, one of the owners is the richest man in Egypt. He's worth about nine billion. The other one's worth four, four and a half. They have plenty of money to back this club. They won't be shy about spending it. 
Look into what Wes Edens has done with the Milwaukee Bucks. Won't be shy about spending money. Won't be shy about being ambitious and letting everybody know how ambitious they are. Dean Smith needs to turn this around quickly. Now, looking at Villa's next run of games, West Ham at home next. That won't be easy. Then a trip to Southampton. Then Brighton at home. Then Palace away. And then Man City at home. That's their next five. There's definitely winnable games there. And I think he needs to win three of them to right the ship and get them back to where they should be with the with the quality they have. There's no excuse for them not to be a top-half team. None at all. I think they need to win three of their next five games to turn this thing around and get themselves back in to the mix for a European spot, which is what they'll want to aim for this year. If they finish ninth or, or eighth and miss Europe, I think they'll be okay as long as they were in contention. If they finish 13th, he will be out of the job. There's just no doubt. For Arsenal, the good run continues. Or the decent run, I suppose, continues. Um, they bounce back after the two draws, which came off the back of four straight wins over Norwich, Burnley, Wimbledon and, and Spurs. But they're now unbeaten since the 5-0 walloping they suffered at Manchester City. So any suggestions that they've been missing Granit Xhaka, I think, can go firmly in a bin somewhere. They've got Leeds up next in the Cup. Then they go to Leicester, Watford at home, trip to Liverpool, Newcastle at home, then a trip to Old Trafford. Difficult run of games. Three in particular, Leicester, Liverpool and United, all away from home will be very, very tough. You'd expect them to beat Arsenal in the League Cup. You'd expect them to beat Watford. And you'd expect them to beat Newcastle, especially with those uh, Watford and Newcastle games being at home. But those are the type of games where Arteta has slipped up. They played good football at the weekend. They looked balanced. The defence had it nice and easy, which made things nice and calm for them. They weren't having to pull players out of position to fill in for others who were having to fill in for somebody else. They were able to just play their football and the result they got was absolutely warranted. Uh, moving into the Saturday games then, Chelsea 7, Norwich 0. A Mason Mount hat-trick scored on 8, 85 and 91. Callum Hudson-Odoi, Reese James, Ben Chilwell and Max Aaron's own goal for the Blues who didn't have Romelu Lukaku and put forward their best attacking performance of the season by quite a distance. Now, it was against Norwich. Norwich are awful. Ben Gibson got sent off. Norwich were a calamity throughout. And pressure is starting to mount, it would seem, on Daniel Farke, which I didn't think would happen. I thought he would have credit in the bank having brought them up. I, I thought he'd be okay having brought them up twice. There was never a doubt about him the last time they were up, even when they were terrible. Now, I will say this time, I mean, two points from nine games is, that, that's different. Like, that's, that's fairly embarrassing. And minus 21 goal differential is fairly embarrassing at this point of the season. That'd be embarrassing over the course of a full season, let alone after nine games. They've only scored twice. 
you have to be concerned about them. Uh, he needs to move back away from this back three because it's not working and he needs to get rid of Grant Hanley out of the team because he's not a Premier League caliber player. And by playing the back three, you're forcing Quebec into wide areas where he's not comfortable. Your whole team looks unbalanced. By all accounts, there's certain things in the camp that aren't going well. Um, and it looks like the Billy Gilmore loan may well end up being terminated. Uh, he's not happy at his lack of playing time. And he was rumoured to have been seen celebrating with the Chelsea players after the game. Um, but nothing, nothing worked for Norwich in this game. Even Mount's penalties. Mount, Mount took the penalty. It was a dreadful penalty and Tim Krul saved it. And it had to be retaken because Krul had stepped off his line. The second penalty was just as bad, but it was straight down the middle and Krul dived to his to his right, Mount's left, uh, clipped his feet and went in. Chelsea were, were good value for the win, there's no doubt about it. They played really good football. It's great to see Callum Hudson-Odoi playing with, with confidence, got a goal and was involved in in plenty of, of attacks. It's impressive for Chelsea that they have Chalaba, James, Mount and Hudson-Odoi starting all out of their academy. We saw Ruben Loftus-Cheek come off the bench as well, former academy graduate there. Good to see him back playing real football as well. Shame he didn't do something for Fulham last season when he was there on loan. Um, you'd be really concerned about Norwich. And when you look ahead at the fixtures they've got coming up, Leeds at home, Brentford away, Southampton at home, Wolves at home, Newcastle away. They've got to start winning some games. There are winnable games there. Leeds have been terrible so far this season. Newcastle are dreadful. Southampton and Wolves are, are okay, but they're not tremendous. There's, there's points there to be had. There's wins there to be had, and they're going to have to do it. Or... If these rumours about Daniel Farker are true, he may well also find himself out of a job. Chelsea maintained their role at the top of the table. They stayed top, 22 points, one clear of Liverpool, two ahead of City. Like I said, this was the best attacking performance they've put in all season. Now, like I said, it was Norwich, but still, I did say in the summer, I thought if you play uh, Havertz as the false nine, Good things can happen here, and good things happened. Uh, they get Southampton midweek in the Cup. Then they've got Newcastle away, Malmo in the Champions League, then Burnley at home, Leicester away, Juventus at home in the Champions League, Manchester United at home, and Watford away. So a couple of tough games coming up in the league. The Leicester and, Chel and Leicester and United games will be difficult. But right now... Chelsea just looked very, very impressive. Defensively, that was one of the easiest games they'll ever have. I think Watford had one shot on target in the whole game. Uh, Edouard Mendy could have stayed home for the day. He didn't really need to bother you know, doing the whole thing of turning up and getting kitted out. Uh, Crystal Palace won, Newcastle won. If Newcastle fans thought that the football would improve by Steve Bruce's departure, they were wrong. They got played off the field and were very, very fortunate to get a draw here. Uh, Benteke had put Palace one up, but Callum Wilson scored an equaliser nine minutes later. Newcastle played dreadful football, didn't really create a whole bunch, but got their goal and got out of there with a point. And they will have to be happy enough with that point. 
Uh, they don't have much say in the matter, but they'll have to be happy enough. Uh, they stay 19th. Still no wins this season. Next up, they get Chelsea. Then a trip to Brighton. Then Brentford. Then a trip to Arsenal. And then Norwich. And you're looking at that and thinking Norwich is the only winnable game there for them. Now, it would be just like Newcastle to go and beat Arsenal. It would be like them to get a result against Brighton or Brentford, despite the fact that both teams are substantially better than them right now. But if we're being honest, the only game that looks winnable right now for them is that Norwich game, which is in all likelihood the game that they'll lose. For Palace, they continue to play good football. They continue to improve. That's four draws on the bounce, though, which they've deserved to win at least a couple of them. They deserve to beat Arsenal last time out. I would say they deserve to beat Palace as well. Sorry, they deserve to beat Brighton as well. How could they beat Palace? They are Palace. Um, yeah, they deserve to win three of those four draws. They've got Manchester City next away, then Wolves at home, Burnley away, Villa at home, and then Leeds away. So, you know, the City game will obviously be very, very tough. But after that, you'd quite fancy their chances at home to Wolves, away to Burnley, home to Villa, away to Leeds. You'd, you'd fancy their chances of picking up another seven points, maybe. Even five points, I think it'd be a good haul. All that matters for them this season is security in the league, safety. Change of manager, change of style, change of direction, a lot of new players. Staying in the division is all that really matters for Palace this year. And thus far, they're looking a good bet to do so. They really do look a good bet to do so. Playing good football. Next up then, we have, from Saturday, Leeds 1, Wolves 0. Um, the less said about this game, the better. Really, really poor stuff. Quang scored early for Wolves. I thought this was going to be a really, I thought it was going to be the only good three o'clock game. And it just was not a good game at all. Um, Wang scored early, but Rodrigo scored a 94th minute penalty to equalize for Leeds. Leeds had the better chances. They dominated the game, but that was largely because once Wolves went up, they had that comfort. Um, a, a point is probably a fair result between the two teams in fairness. Wolves will be very, very happy to have gotten out of there with a point in their 11th in the table. They'll be very happy with how things are going after the bad start they've had. They're unbeaten in four, three wins and, and the draw. So they'll be thrilled. They've got Everton at home next, then that trip to Palace, West Ham at home, then Norwich away, and then Burnley at home. So a, a fairly favourable run coming up now for Wolves, in which they should be able to pick up some more points and secure themselves in the middle of the table. But for Leeds, just the one win so far. Seven points from nine games. Negative eight goal differential. Things really aren't looking good. They've got Arsenal away in the cup. Then a trip to Norwich. They've got to win that game. Then they get Leicester at home, Tottenham away, Brighton away, and Palace at home. That's a difficult four-game run. At home, they, they'll fancy themselves to beat Palace. And they should beat Norwich, even in Norwich. But that middle three, 
Leeds, Tottenham and Brighton. It's going to be very difficult games. Luckily enough now, Spurs don't look like they're up to much at the moment. Despite their league position, they were absolutely woeful at the weekend. But Leeds need to start picking up points because I don't know that I'd fancy Leeds in a relegation scrap come the end of the season. They have a three-point lead on Burnley. But if it came down to five games left, a three-point gap between those teams, you definitely fancy Burnley to survive and Leeds to be the ones to go down because Burnley have been there before. Burnley have players hardened to relegation battles. I don't know that Leeds have players that will will be all that useful to you in a relegation scrap in the Premier League. Next game then from Saturday was Everton 2, Watford 5. Madness, absolute madness at Goodison Park. Tom Davies scored after three minutes, back in the team, doing little bits. Gets his goal, really good work from Damari Gray. Um, and Tom Davies taps home from short distance. Josh King made it 1-1 on 13 minutes. Uh, Josh King obviously was at Everton last year did absolutely nothing in the six months he was there. I'm, I'm not sure why Everton didn't keep him. I still think they would have been better off to keep him because he is a decent player. But me and Guy had said this on a tad predictable. Watford needed to play with a number nine up front and play Sarah wide. And that's exactly what they did. And King was, he was excellent in this game. But Watford, to their credit, were really, really good, but they just showed a lot more fight. Richarlison came off the bench making his return from injury. He scored on 63 minutes, just literally, I think, one of his first touches um, after Michael Keane had wandered upfield and hooked the ball into the box. And then Everton fell apart. Kushka made it 2-2 on 78. Everton's defence just went missing on 80. And King found himself in loads of space, 1v1 with the keeper, made it 3-2. Everton continued to pile forward in search of a a draw at this point. Watford broke down the left. Chucha Hernandez got behind the defence, cut the ball back. Everton cut it out. And then three of their players seemed to run into each other. The ball fell to King, who made Michael Keane look very, very poor. And then beat Pickford from about seven yards out. And then... Emmanuel Dennis on 91, wrapping up a 5-2 victory. This is embarrassing for Everton, who had started the season really well. Looked good going forward, strong defensively. they just got Richarlison back. They had loss last time out, but, you know, you're going to have your losses. And a loss to West Ham is not a bad result. But... This is a dreadful result, especially having watched Watford get walloped by Liverpool last week. Liverpool beat Watford 5-0 last week. In Watford. Watford went to Goodison and put five past them. Everton were very much masters of their own demise here. Really poor performance. Really naive performance, which is very unlike a Rafa Benitez team. Uh, Benitez looked absolutely livid on the sideline as well, which... I can't imagine that will have gone down well with him. He he will have had words with each and every one of those players after that game. And they will be under no illusion that that is not acceptable. 
Um, so we, we, we'll, we'll watch and see what Everton look like next time out. Their next game will be away to Wolves. Then they get Tottenham at home. Then City away, Brentford away, and then Liverpool at home in the first derby of the year. This is a really tough run of games coming up now for Everton. Wolves away will be difficult. Tottenham have European ambition. City have title ambition. Brentford are playing really well. And Liverpool, title ambition, plus it's the local derby. And Liverpool will be really motivated going into that game because of what happened last year at Goodison and the fact that they lost their long, long winning streak over Everton at Anfield last season too. So keep an eye for that one. December 1st, it's an 8.15 kickoff, which I assume means it is a Monday night game. No, it's a Wednesday night game. Interesting. That one should be an absolute belter. Anyway, uh, we'll take a break. That's five games. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll run to the other five. And then we'll look and see where our friend Gareth went wrong with this week's Team of the Week. Seen a few. Right, folks. Welcome back. So, five games down, five more to get through. Southampton 2, Burnley 2, Tino Livermento, absolutely outstanding performance from him. Uh, him and Armando Broya, both of whom came from Chelsea during the summer. Livermento on a permanent deal, Broya or Broja on a, on a loan deal. They get the goals for Chelsea, or for Southampton rather, which again, myself and Guy spoke with us a week ago. They need to play that number nine, that bigger number nine up front. To really make the team work, he's played the last two games and he's done really well. Um, so credit to him. Now it's a little bit concerning that Armstrong is the one who's found his way out of the team when Nathan Redmond is, I mean, he's just not a Premier League player. He, he's just not a Premier League player at this point. Armstrong needs to get back in that team quickly, but I will say credit to, credit to Ralph for trying different things. Credit also to Sean Dyche for going outside of his comfort zone in the summer and buying a player who's not, well, he's not gammon and gravy, in Max Cornette, who scored two really good goals in this game to earn Burnley a point. He put them up on 13 minutes, and then he equalised on 57. The two Southampton goals came in between. It's a better result, I think, for Burnley than it is for Southampton. Um, Southampton will have been looking to create a bit of a gap between themselves. There is four points between themselves and Burnley, but I think they will have viewed this as an opportunity to make it six points, um, which unfortunately just hasn't happened for them. Now, they've got Chelsea next, then a trip to Watford. Chelsea next in the Cup. Then a trip to Watford. They get Villa at home, Norwich away, Liverpool away, and Leicester City at home. Watford, Villa at home, and Norwich are all winnable games for them. They're all games Saints could go into with confidence. You wouldn't fancy to get much at Anfield. And Leicester looked like they may be rounding into a bit of form. So you'd expect that the Foxes will go down there and, and get a point maybe or, or maybe all three. Uh, but Saints are looking more lively than they did in the early weeks of the season. The centre-back partnership of Bednarak and Salisu is, is coming together, looking impressive. Uh, as ex- as I expected it would. I really like Diallo in the middle of the park. 
I really like him in the middle of the park, and I think they're going to need to consider moving James Ward-Prowse into a different role because I think Diallo's making that that spot his own. Um, as for Burnley, four points, no wins, not ideal. They had a bad start last year, though, as well, and got out of it. This year might be a little bit tougher, but you'll still rely on one or two to fall down from the group of old because that's always what happens. Uh, they have Burnley at home in the, uh, Burnley at home. They have Tottenham at home in the cup this week. Then they have Brentford at home in the league, Chelsea away, Palace at home, Spurs at home, and then Wolves away. So difficult enough little run there, but there's still some points they can pick up. No one likes going to Turf Moor. No one really likes playing Burnley. They'll make things difficult for everybody and they'll pick up some points along the way, but they do need to get that first win. They really need to get that first win out of the way. Once they get one win, they'll pick up a couple, but this is going to be a tough little run for them. Brentford won't be easy, but, you know, they'll fancy their chances at home to Brentford. Chelsea will be real tough. They'll fancy beating Palace at home. They'll fancy making life difficult for Spurs. And then, you know, with Wolves away, they won there last year. So maybe they can repeat the trick again this year. Uh, we'll move on from there to Brighton 1, Manchester City 4. This is a tough one. City were really good, like really, really good. But I didn't feel like 4-1 was a fair reflection on the game. Uh, Ilke Gundogan put City 1 up after 13. Then two goals from Phil, Phil Foden on 28 and 31 made it 3-0 at halftime. It, it looked like it was over at that point. And I thought Brighton deserve a goal here, but 3-1 is probably fine. 3-1 would have been okay. They did get a goal through Alexis McAllister on 81, but Riyad Mahrez on 95 with the uh, the icing on the cake. I, I thought Potter just gave the game away with the midfield he picked. Just empty shirt in the centre of the park. Pascal Grouse isn't much better. That defence got caught out. Veltman did not have a good game. Dan Byrne didn't have a particularly good game either. I just thought they looked a little bit at sixes and sevens at times. Credit to City. City were awesome. And Phil Foden is playing obscenely well. Bernardo Silva, I would say right now, is probably the second best player in the league behind Salah. Great to see Gundogan back in the team. and Nice to see him back among the goals. Obviously, their first choice defence plus Rodri gives them that basis to play from. But they were comfortable winners. And, I, you know, we, we knew Brighton weren't going to be a top four team this year. The, their start had been very impressive, but we knew eventually it would catch up on them. The, the lack of quality in certain areas and in midfield when they don't have Basuma and he won't play Mwepu for whatever reason. Um, you're just going to get games like that where you just get completely torn apart. And that's what happened. City played through them with great ease and, um, and deserved to win. There's no question City deserved to win. Before one was maybe a little bit harsh on Brighton. Is about as far as I go there. Now for Brighton, they've got Leicester in the cup, then a trip to Liverpool, then they get Newcastle at home, Villa away, Leeds at home, and West Ham away. So after Liverpool, there's three games there that they'll expect to take probably seven points from. They'll expect to beat Newcastle at home and beat Leeds at home. 
I think they'll expect to get a point against Villa because right now they're a better team than Villa. Um, West Ham will be a difficult game as well, especially obviously at the London Stadium. But look, Brighton are, are no mug. They're no pushover this season. They've they've improved every year under Potter. I think that's why his name is is coming up in in conversations for all manner of different jobs. You know, he's obviously been mentioned as a future England manager. I see a lot of United fans suggesting he'd be one that they might have interest in um, if they want to go for you know a young manager who can come in and build something. I've seen Leicester fans mention him if Rodgers was to leave. I've seen Newcastle fans mention him because obviously they're looking for a new manager. And in the summer, I saw a lot of Arsenal fans and a lot of Spurs fans talk about Graham Potter. So he is he's very highly regarded, uh, certainly among fans and I'd assume among clubs as well. And if you give him more quality, I, I think he would do well. But he still has a little bit of a a penchant for playing dross, you know. I think that's something he'll need to he'll need to address. But Brighton have been been really impressive this season, and losing at home to City is no is no embarrassment at all. Uh, for City, they get West Ham in the cup during the week. Then they're at home to Palace. Then Club Bruges at home. Then Manchester City in the Derby, that's at Old Trafford. Then Everton at home, PSG at home, West Ham at home, and then Villa away. So difficult run of games. A difficult run of games coming up. Um, United aren't very good, but it's still the Derby. Rafa will make things difficult for them. PSG will be a huge game. And West Ham are just no fun at all to play against. And Mikel Antonio will, will, fanciest chances of given Ruben Diaz and, and Eric Laporta a, a tough old game. So City need to keep winning because they need to stay in this title race. They won't want to give up their title too easily. Um, like I said earlier, they're only two points off the top. But that gap can open quickly if you drop some points considering how well Liverpool and Chelsea are playing and how consistent they are. City need to maintain the same level of consistency to stay in the title race they don't want a gap to open this year because unlike last year, I don't think there'll be enough slip-ups from the other two for them to claw it back. It's not like last year when you're competing for the title against Ollie's United and nobody else. No gap can open this year. You won't be able to close it. The other two are too consistent. Um, moving on then to Sunday. West Ham won Tottenham nil. The first half was a decent game. Tottenham had more of the ball. Both sides had good chances. Second half, Tottenham were a disgrace. Mikel Antonio scores the only goal of the game on 72. Tottenham didn't have a shot in the entire second half. I believe that's the third time this season they haven't had a shot. They've gone a whole half without a shot. That's really, really poor. Really, really poor. And Harry Kane looked like the Harry Kane of most of this season again. A desperate performance, no energy, no effort. Very, very disappointing. All credit to West Ham. They played very well. Moyes has this team just perfectly dialed in. Consistent in Europe, consistent in the Premier League. They're up to fourth now in the league. Two points clear of Brighton and Tottenham. Only the two defeats all season. Only the top three have lost less games. 
16 goals scored. Only the top three have scored more. Only the 10 conceded. That's a top eight defence as things stand. Plus six goal differential. Only the top three have been better. They're well deserving of fourth place right now because right now they are the fourth best team in the league. Um, Squad-wise, they probably don't have what's needed to maintain it over the course of the season. You do always feel like they're a Mikel Antonio injury away from a bad run of form. But at the same time, I still think you've got to give credit to Moyes. I said to somebody yesterday, I think Moyes might be the best manager in the league if you're a mid-level, mid-budget kind of team looking to consistently finish in the top half, challenge for European spots, and some sometimes overachieve. So sometimes maybe you finish fifth. Maybe once a decade you might crack the top four. I think Moyes is is the best in the league at that specific niche. And it is a specific niche, but that's what he was at Everton. That's what he is now at West Ham. He knows exactly what he wants his teams to do. He knows the types of players he wants to buy, the profile of the players that fit what he needs. And I think it makes scouting for David Moyes a lot easier than, for example, a manager who's maybe like a pep who wants his teams to play in a couple of different ways and can change things up, you know, on a whim. When you've got a manager like Moyes, and as well as that, they don't, they're not a huge pressing team. They press when needed, but it's not like a Klopp team. So you're not looking for players that can press endlessly and won't get injured. You don't have to factor that part into it. I think it makes finding the right players for Moyes easier because he knows exactly what he wants, because he's so dialed in on what he wants, how he wants to play, what he expects of players. And credit to him. I think he's done a brilliant job. Robbed of manager of the year last year. Right now he's well in the running to get robbed of it again because they won't they won't give it to him. But I love that he's rebuilding his reputation. He had a really good run at Everton. He didn't win anything, fair enough. And, you know, we can mock Everton fans for the a decade at Everton for the manager who proves you don't need trophies to be a winner, but he is a winner. Nonsense. But he had a really, really good 10 years there. Or 11 years, if it was 11. I think it could have been 11 years. A really good run there. He wasn't given enough time at United, but he also didn't have the right mentality for United. He should never have taken the Real Sociedad or Sunderland jobs. He should have just stayed well clear of them. He wasn't ready to go back into the game. He needed a break away. After United went so badly, he needed a break away. Did really well in his first spell at Everton, but his reputation preceded him. He was the guy who'd failed at United. He wasn't going to take them forward. They went for Pellegrini. And when Pellegrini didn't work, they came crawling back to Moyes. And he showed great class to take that job a second time. And he's done, like, the first few months were, were rough, but he has done a brilliant job ever since. A genuinely brilliant job ever since. The last eight games or so of the season before last, 
all of last season and this season so far. It's about a season and a half's worth of football that they've been a really, really good team. A top six team for a season and a half is a hell of an effort at West Ham United. Credit to David Moyes. He deserves it all. Uh, Brentford won Leicester 2. Brentford very, very unfortunate here not to have picked up at least a point. Yuri Thielemans put Leicester one up on 14 with an absolute rocket of a, of a half volley from the edge of the box. Sensational goal. He might be the best pure striker of a ball in English football. His technique is just flawless. And that ball arrowed past David Ray. He was never getting close to it. From there, I, I thought Brentford were the better team. I thought they created the better chances. They put Leicester under pressure. Pulled that defence apart. Brian and Buomo should have scored at least one. They get their goal from Matthias Jorgensen, a.k.a. Zanka, on 60. Good header from a corner. They absolutely deserve to be level. They really do deserve to be level. And unfortunately for them, they got a bit naive. They got a bit overly aggressive. And they pressed on for the win. And Leicester caught them on the counter. And if I had any doubts about Pats and Daka, they all went away as he raced through on goal, 1v1 with the keeper. And then rather than take the gamble of, you know, doing it himself, slid the ball very calmly to James Madison, having drawn the keeper out, gave Madison the open goal to finish and give Leicester the win. Slightly undeserved three points, but three points nonetheless. Off the back of the win over United, off the back of the win in Europe during the week, when they'd been 2-0 down and fought back. I think huge credit goes to Brendan. Huge credit goes to his players. And Pat Sandaka is, again, their match winner. He didn't get the goal this time, but he made it. Massive credit to them. Massive, massive credit to them. Leicester are now up to ninth. Uh, 14 points. Puts them level with Manchester United, Everton and Arsenal. So... They're one point off Brent, uh, Brighton in fifth, which will tell you how condensed the league still is. But all things considered, maybe they are the team that can get top four this year. Like The only thing separating them from Manchester United is United have scored one more goal. They've both conceded 15. United have scored 16. Leicester have scored 15. Four wins, two draws, three defeats. 14 points from nine games. Which, considering United had 13 points from five games and, and Leicester had six points from five games, um, is a hell of a turnaround. But I, I really do, do just wonder if Leicester could string it all together, if they could get their players back fit. Get their defence sorted out. They've got all the talent there. United are bad enough that there really is an opening for someone to sneak in and grab fourth spot. It could be West Ham. It could be Spurs. If if Nuno could ever figure out how to get his team to take shots on goal. But Leicester are the one that have the talent to do it. You put them man v man up against United. There's a lot of Leicester players would get in that United team. Coming up next for Leicester, 
Brighton in the Cup, then Arsenal at home, Spartak Moscow at home, Leeds away, Chelsea at home, Legia Warsaw at home in the Europa League, Watford at home, and then Southampton away. It's not a bad run. That Chelsea game aside, it's not a bad run at all. There are four winnable Premier League games for them there. Now, they're not helped by the fact that they do have the Europa League games, but obviously we've got an international break coming as well, which can disrupt their rhythm. But if they can just carry a bit of form through the next month or two, get Ndidi back, maybe get James Justin back, you get Fafana back in January, February, maybe you buy somebody or bring someone in on loan in January as well. There's an awful lot of talent in that squad. Like, you look at their bench at the weekend. Ryan Bertrand, decent player. Harvey Barnes, excellent. Danny Ward, decent goalkeeper. Aosi Perez is decent. Hamza Chowdhury. Dewsbury Hall, I don't know much about. Young midfield player. Vestergaard, I'm not a fan of. But then Daka and Luckman. That's a solid bench for a team that were missing the likes of Fafana and Didi and James Justin. Like, there's a good, good squad there at Leicester. Ian Atchew and Vardy started up front with Madison behind, Samari and Thielen in the midfield, Pereira and Castanier wide, Amarty, Evans and Sionchu. You bring Fafana back in for Amarty, you bring Ndidi in for Sumari. That way Samari got drops to the bench. It's a really strong squad. They've almost got. I'd say they, they do have two good options for all positions, bar at centre back. They've only really got three centre backs, and one of them's injured at the minute. And Marty's not. Well, no, sorry, they don't. They've got. Because they've got Vestergaard as well, but he's just not very good. But Vestergaard and Marty are the backups. They still own Benkovic, but Rogers doesn't seem to fancy him at all. But Schmeichel and Ward, goalkeeping situation, solid. Fafana, Evans, Sionchu, Amarty, Vestergaard, Benkovic. It's not a bad centre-back group. You'd want, you'd want one better backup than the three they have. But if you say Pereira and Justin as the right-backs, or right-wing-backs, Castanier, Bertrand and Thomas as the left-wing-backs, that's really strong in, on both sides. Thielemans, Ndidi, Sumare. Chowdhury, Dewsbury Hall. That's a really good midfield group. Then you've got Madison or Barnes behind the strikers. And then you've got Ian Acho, Vardy, Daka and Luckman up front. And Iosi Perez can play either as the 10 or up front. That's a really good attacking group. Like, it's a really strong squad. He inherited a good squad. They recruited well since he arrived. They should have gotten top four the last two years, considering how poor, well, last year, how poor Liverpool and Chelsea were in the, in the league. The year before, how poor Chelsea and United were in the league. Leicester really should have gotten top four, almost by default, the last two years. 36 weeks in the top four last year. 33 the year before. They really should have finished top four in both seasons. This season... They probably shouldn't, but they could. United should be better than them. 
when you look at the quality available to Ollie, but we'll talk about it next, but they're just a mess. Um, for Brentford then coming up, at the moment Brentford sit 12th in the league, back-to-back defeats in games they deserved at least a point from is, is disappointing for them. Up next, they've got Stoke in the Cup, then they go to Burnley, then Norwich at home, Newcastle away, Everton at home, and then Spurs away. There's winnable games there. There's points to be taken. They just need to find a bit more consistency, and they need to improve in front of goal. And Buomo is so wasteful. He missed three great chances against Chelsea. He missed one great chance and one good chance against Leicester. If he was more clinical, they would have taken three points against Le- against Chelsea and at least one point yesterday. That's the area they need to work on. It's basically his finishing. Um, and they need to work on getting Ivan Tony into those positions rather than in Bournemouth because you put Tony in those positions, he scores the goals. Final game. And I've, I've purposely kept this one to the last. It was obviously the last game, but I mean, it is the headline game of the weekend and it's the headline result. It's the headline performance on both sides for good and bad. Manchester United nil, Liverpool five at Old Trafford. A one-sided ass-kicking by the men from Liverpool. Um, this was embarrassing for United in so many ways. But the most embarrassing part is what happened after the five goals went in. So Navi Keita puts Liverpool up on five minutes. Jota makes it two on 13. Salah makes it three on 38. Salah again just before the break. Salah again just after the break. First visiting player to score a hat-trick at Old Trafford in the Premier League. Liverpool are five up. And at this point, it could be anything. They're, they're not even playing at full capacity. They're comfortably sweeping aside Manchester United without really having to break a sweat. And then Paul Pogba gets himself sent off for a disgraceful tackle on Naby Keita. And Liverpool just sort of go into self-preservation mode by embarrassing United, by having a training session on the pitch as thousands upon thousands of United fans stream out of the stadium. They started leaving at halftime. By the time the final whistle went, I would I would estimate at least two-thirds of the stadium was empty by the final whistle. United fans had had enough. And the last sight they saw was the team they hate the most playing one-twos in the middle of their pitch. Because what Liverpool did for 30 minutes in that game was toy with United and make it very clear we could score any time we want. We're just choosing not to. We're being respectful here but we're also not being respectful. We're being respectful in a disrespectful way by making you chase the ball on your own pitch. Now, they didn't chase very much. I thought the biggest concerns for United were the lack of effort, the lack of desire, the lack of fight that I saw on that team. And even when a fight almost broke out after 
Cristiano Ronaldo uh, kicked at Curtis Jones when he's on the ground and should have been sent off. Uh, all the Liverpool players rushed in. Only Bruno Fernandes rushed to Cristiano's side. All the rest of them just sort of ambled across quite slowly, as if they were happy to let him maybe get a few slaps. Because maybe he deserves a few slaps. His performance yesterday was a disgrace. He did no running. He's had a goal disallowed at the only thing he did in the whole game. But he did nothing off the ball. He offered nothing to United. And for his fanboys who still want to believe that he's the best player in the world, uh, he's not even in the top three Portuguese players in the Premier League. Bruno Fernandes is better. And at least two of the three at City. Bernardo and Jack and Seo are better, and I will accept arguments for Ruben Diaz. He's not a top three Portuguese player in the Premier League. Don't tell me he's the best player in the world. He's nowhere close. Liverpool were dominant. Naby Keita was outstanding for 60 minutes until he was forced off after that disgraceful tackle that earned Pog with the red card. Mo Salah was unstoppable. Absolutely unstoppable. And the form he's in, he is the best player on the planet right now. He is the world's best player as things currently stand. Without doubt, he's the best player in the Premier League. He's played 12 games this season. He scored 15 goals and had five assists. Just take a moment and understand how obscene that is. Through basically a quarter of the season... He has 20 goal involvements. That puts him on course over the course of a 48 game season, which would be 10 Premier League, or sorry, 38 Premier League games and say 10 Champions League games, which would be six in the group stage and two rounds of knockout, which you would say is a realistic expectation for Liverpool. That would put him on course to score 60 goals and have 20 assists if he continues to play the way he is. Now, obviously that's not going to happen, but those are Lionel Messi numbers that he's putting forward. And I don't mean Lionel Messi in recent years. I mean Lionel Messi at his very best. That is obnoxiously good. He is ridiculous. He made a statement at Old Trafford yesterday. He put everybody on notice that he is the best player, certainly in the Premier League. You want to say that Karim Benzema or Robert Lewandowski are the best player in the world, that's absolutely fair. But I will say it's Mo Salah. I think right now it is him. And I don't actually think at this moment it's all that close. I think if you go back over the last year, Lewandowski and Benzema probably have stronger claims to a Ballon d'Or. But right now... I don't think it's anywhere close. I think Salah is the best player in the world and moving away from the rest. He's also the youngest. He's 29. Benzema is 34. Lewandowski's 32. Messi's obviously still always in the running, but he's 34. Salah's only really getting started when you compare him to those guys. And remember, there are Liverpool fans who suggest that he's 29. You shouldn't give him 400 grand a week. Absolutely nonsensical. Liverpool never needed to get a second gear yesterday. That's the most damning thing. That and the lack of effort on their own side is the most damning things for United. Forget the scoreline. 
The scoreline is what it is. The, the lack of caring from that United team. He left Pogba out, brought him on at half time. He gave the ball away for Liverpool's fifth, and then he got sent off. That's literally all he did in 15 minutes on the pitch. He gave the ball away for a goal, and then he got himself sent off. And that's it. Cristiano walked around for his entire 90 minutes. How he stayed on the pitch, how Solskjaer didn't haul him off, I don't know. But if the new manager, if whenever that is, comes in, the first thing they're going to want to do is get rid of him. No real manager is going to want him around the place. Not playing like that. Not putting forward that little effort. He doesn't make any runs off the ball. He only makes runs that benefit him. He only makes runs where he's going to get the ball. He's not helping Mason Greenwood. He's not helping Rashford. Bruno was absolutely dreadful in this game as well. Cristiano helps nobody, only Cristiano. He only cares about himself. And you can see that in that interview he did with Piers Morgan. Morgan asked him, what's the most important record for you? And he said, winning the most golden balls. If you ask Lionel Messi, he'd say winning a World Cup or winning the most Champions Leagues. If you ask any great player, they'll always say team awards, titles, cups. Only he will say individual awards. And that's what separates the truly great players from the likes of him. 5-0, it really should have been more. It could have been more and it would have been more if Liverpool were in any way interested. But they'd done enough. They thought they'd just inflict embarrassment. Oli was booed off at half-time. He was booed off at full-time by what remaining crowd there were. And to the mortification of all United fans... At the end of the game, Liverpool fans were singing and having a party in their stadium and there was nothing they could do about it. Singing about Ollie, singing about him being at the wheel. Ollie in. A tremendous day's crack. And I think the highlight for me, seeing Alex Ferguson look miserable and Kenny Dalglish look delighted and just imagining what would happen when the two of them sat down for their glass of wine after the game. 5-0 to the Reds. Well-deserved. Liverpool are second in the Premier League. One point behind Chelsea now in the table. They've scored the most goals. Uh, they've got the best goal difference. Coming up next, they have Preston in the Cup. Then Brighton at home. Atletico Madrid at home. West Ham away, which will be a tough game. Arsenal at home. Porto at home. Southampton at home and then Everton in the Cup. So you'd look at that and you'd say West Ham away and Everton away will be tough. Brighton at home won't be easy, but they'll still expect to beat them, and they'll expect to beat Arsenal and Southampton at home as well. So good chance Liverpool to put some more points on the board and keep the pressure on at the top of the table. They'll be, they'll be there or thereabouts at the end of the season. There's just no doubt about it. United dropped to 7th. Eight points off the top after nine games. Uh, a goal differential of one. Despite having scored the fourth most goals, joint fourth most goals in the Premier League, they have conceded. Let's see, who's conceded more? Norwich, Newcastle, Leeds, Watford. And that's it. 
they're the only teams who've conceded more goals. The teams who've conceded the same amount of goals, Burnley, Villa, Leicester, all teams that we'd say have bad, are bad defensively. Now, Burnley aren't bad defensively, but they're just not a particularly good team. Um, they're, they're always a, just one of those teams. They'll always concede 40, 45 goals in a season. Um, Leicester are a bad defensive team. Villa have, oh, they've got Tyron Mings. And I mean, the rest are, you know, Watford, we'd, we'd mark them down as a team who could go down. Newcastle could go down. Norwich probably will go down. Um, so United's defense, despite 50 million on, Magu- on Juan Bissaka, the, all the money on Varane, all the money on Maguire, all the money spent on Lindelof. Luke Shaw cost a fortune eight, seven years ago. De Gea is in the form of his life, but has conceded 15 goals in nine games. It's just, it's a mess from back to front. It's, it's not all Ollie's fault, but he does have to go for the, the fixing to start. They go to Tottenham next, which won't be easy. Then they get Atalanta away in the cup. Then City at home. And if they thought what happened against Liverpool was bad, City could do could do worse to them. Um, then Watford away, Villarreal away, then Chelsea away, and then Arsenal at home. That is a tough run. That's a really tough run for United. If Oli makes it through this run, he'll make it to the end of the season. But this is this is it. Like if if they lose to United, or sorry, lose to Spurs, lose to City, lose to Chelsea, I can't see how he can survive, especially if they were to lose the two Champions League games as well. And it's very, very possible that they do lose all five of those games. Now, the December is is more favourable. Obviously, starts with Arsenal. That'll be tough. Palace will be tough. But then Young Boys at home, Norwich away. Those are games they should win. They get Newcastle in December. They get Burnley in December. They're games they should win. If he can get through to December, he'll probably be okay. But this this November is absolutely horrendous for them. And if they play like they did against Liverpool, they will lose every single one of those games, including Watford. That's how bad they were. And just to point out, Paul Scold was absolutely right with what he said. He said when he said if you go out and play against that like Liverpool, like that against Liverpool, you just wait and see what happens. He was absolutely right. Um, right, Garth Crooks' team of the week, then, folks. Um, he went for Allison in goal. Um, he didn't really have anything to do. He didn't really have anything to do. He made a couple of decent saves, nothing spectacular. I don't know about that one, Gareth. I don't know about Van Dijk and, and Kanate picking the two of them is just silly. They played really well, don't get me wrong, but they didn't have any defending to do. Uh, he went with James and Chilwell. So basically, he's looked at the score lines. He's seen the teams that scored loads of goals and he's picked all their players. Um, Chilwell scored, James won a penalty. James scored as well. Uh, yeah, put them in fine. I just, I, I don't think you can put, I don't think you can put Alison, Kanate and Virgil in. As well as they played, they had nothing to do. Uh, Navi Keita, absolutely. 
Mason Mount, absolutely. Bernardo Silva, absolutely. Phil Foden, yeah. Josh King, yeah. And Mo Salah, no problem at all. I just... He made the one save from Greenwood. I don't know what else he did, Alison. I don't know what else I can say about... I don't know what... Like, for Virgil, it was very easy. For Kanate, it was very easy. I don't have a problem with them being in, but I'm just not sure they're they're in based on having had to defend all that well. Do you know? It was so easy for them. They were knocking the ball about with no United player within 15 yards of them for most of the second half. I won't disagree with it too much. We'll give Gareth a pass this week. Um, and we will wrap up with the old gossip just to, uh, because why not? Why not? Over Monday, get some gossip into you. Uh, Everton and West Ham are among those keen on signing even Perisic from Inter Milan. Uh, there's also believed to be Bundesliga interest in the player. Newcastle United would have to produce an exceptional and extraordinary offer to tempt Eric Ten Hag as manager. Ten Hag is a contract with Ajax. Ajax are in a good position this year. It would be strange for him to leave right now, but in the summer, maybe. Uh, midfielder Angelo Fulgini of Angers attracting interest in Premier League clubs. I think he was the most fouled player in Europe last year. Uh, Brazilian fullback Marcelo has told Real Madrid he will leave the club at the end of the season. Uh, they've been asking him to leave for two years, so it's about time. David Moyes has, wor- has warned any club that wants Declan Rice, they would have to pay over $100 million. Um It's easy to say it. You've got no say in the matter, really, Mr. Moyes. Your owners will decide. And even though he's not worth it, I think $80 million will get him in the summer. Chelsea have inquired over the availability of Porto winger Luis Diaz. But Newcastle, Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich and Real Madrid have already contracted as representatives. This is from Nicolo Shearer, who, if anyone doesn't know him, he makes Fabrizio Romano look reliable. This guy is, he doesn't even try and pretend he's not a spoofer. Um, Colin Miller did a great takedown of him. But two years ago. Um, and it was, it was tremendous. Um, Tangai Endembele says a crisis meeting with Daniel Levy saved his Tottenham Hotspur career. Uh, so are we to, to read into that, that Levy is now picking the Spurs team? Maybe. Um, talks between Paul Pogba and Manchester United over a contract renewal have been put on hold until April by his agent. So he can sign for anyone anywhere in Europe in January, but he's only going to talk to United again in April, which means... Mino is going to go in January and try and get him a nice big contract, a nice big payday somewhere else. And if he can't, then as a last resort, he will go back to United. If that's true, United just need to tell him to go away. They just need to tell him to go away. Tear up his contract and just send him down the road because it's not worth your while. Uh, AC Milan have reached an impasse in contract talks with Frank Kessie. He's tremendous. Every club's going to want him in the summer. Antonio Rudiger is tipped 
to leave Stamford Bridge next summer. If he wants 400 grand a week, let him leave. He is not worth the shade of it. Um, Arsenal duo Constantinos Mavroponis and Matteo Guendozi, who are on loan at Stuttgart and Marseille, respectively, are expected to leave on permanent deals in the summer. Yeah, they both have, uh, both clubs have options to buy or obligations to buy maybe in the Guendouzi deal. But yeah, I mean, and they're very, very affordable. So are more bad negotiations from Edu. Really bad in both cases. Both of them should be in the Arsenal squad. Guendouzi is better than every midfielder they have bar Partey. And Mavroponis is better than Rob Holding and Callum Chambers. Both of them should be in the Arsenal squad. Uh, Connor Cody is on Newcastle's wanted list. I would, that's, that's the type of deal that silly clubs do. They go and they buy, you know, an England international. He's a leader and he just, they forget that he's not very good. If Wolves are smart, Wolves will do that deal. Wolves will sell him. If he can get, if he can get 35 million from him, he's not worth 15, but if you can get 35, get every penny you can. If all you can get is 25, don't hold the deal up. They'll send them down the road. Uh, Mark Overmars has opened talks at Newcastle about becoming the director of football. I doubt it. Uh, Manchester United will do all they can to hold on to Paul Pogba. I doubt they will. I doubt they will. They've been foolish enough already. I don't think they'll want to lumber a new manager with, with a long-term Paul Pogba contract. So I have a feeling if they don't change manager, they'll just let him go. Uh, teenage FC Dallas striker Ricardo Pepe is attracting the interest of a number of Premier League clubs. He's meant to be very talented, don't know anything about him. Brendan Rodgers has denied reports that Yuri Thielemans has rejected a new contract with Leicester. Those reports have been going around for a while from a bunch of different sources. Be inclined to believe some of them, to be honest. Uh, Argentine forward Paolo Dybala has all but reached an agreement with Juventus. Understandable that they'd want to keep their best player, to be fair. Chelsea have been warned by Sevilla that they will not sell Jules Kunde on the cheap, nor should they. He's the top 10 centre-back in the world. Pep Guardiola is looking at Tony Cruz when his deal expires at Real Madrid in 2023. I doubt it because Pep is leaving in 2023. And Tony Cruz will be 33 years of age. And there's not a hope that City will want to sign him. Um, Ferran Torres is set for a new contract at City. Yeah, I mean, why not? You've got all the money, you might as well. Everton are leading the race to sign Jesse Lingard, who's also wanted by West Ham and Newcastle. Yeah, I could see him working at Everton. I, I wouldn't sign him if I was Everton, because I think you've got an age profile of players that you should be looking to add to with the likes of Godfrey, Richarlison, um, Damari Gray, and Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Mason Holgate. I, I'd be looking to add more players in, in their kind of age bracket rather than the near 30-year-old Jesse Lingard. Uh, Luis Suarez wants to stay at the club beyond neck, uh, beyond Luis Suarez will stay at Atletico Madrid beyond next season, beyond this season. He's got five goals already this season, but his contract earn, ends in the summer. If he wants to stay, you keep him. Sign him year to year. Give him a rolling contract and Louis will be happy enough. Ajax are keen to keep hold of Ryan Gravenberch and are working on a new deal. There's lots of clubs interested in him. He will leave eventually, but maybe another year or two might do him the world of good. Uh, anyway, folks, we will leave it at that. Thank you as always. 
Hope you all had a pleasant weekend. United fans, sorry for your troubles. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.